0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: So Cats Talk Wednesday, another episode because it is that time. Benny Hardy here, my man Terry TV Brown up in the Ville. What is going on, TV? How's everything, man?
2: It is going great. We we've, we've reached that point of the season of the fall season. We've got uh, basketball competing. We've got football competing and playing well. We've got volleyball. Up to number three in the country, man! It's it, it's great to be a wildcat. <laughs> That's it, and another another sweep by the volleyball team, right? Yeah, I mean that that Coach Skinner's got them playing on fire. They are absolutely lights out, and, and I know we're going to cover that, and uh, we got a whole lot of stuff as we always do. But uh, once again, uh, for for those folks saying that uh, you know. Former A D Tom Jurich at U of L was the de facto best A D look, man. Since Mitch Barnhart has taken yeah. over at Kentucky, every single program has has become nationally ranked at some point. Their best seasons have all taken place within the last four or five years. And that's that ain't not bad. So uh definitely <laughs> a lot to a lot to cover. Let's see. Way to start off with a solid double negative two. That is that was strong. That ain't not bad. That was awesome. You can tell my Mama B doesn't always listen to the show because if she if she did, she would catch she would catch that one, and I would have to write my name on the board or something like that. So yeah, she she would have shut
1: us both down with that one. She sure would. Absolutely. Yeah, we absolutely. Got, we got tons to talk about. We got like you mentioned the football team, the volleyball team, basketball. Everything's going. I look back at the game against Vandy. Uh, Kentucky bounced back from the loss to Ole Miss. Look ahead to the game at Athens uh, against the Georgia Bulldogs, who will be licking wounds when the cats get between the hedges. Um, we have three basketball games that went down since <laughs> we were on last, and that was our <laughs> special Friday show that we had. We had the Utah Valley game. We had Vermont. We had last night in the Champions Classic uh, in Chicago against Kansas. Uh will have to dive into all those as well. About 10 minutes from now, we have a guest. So we'll, we'll hit Kentucky, hit some NFL with our guest, Russell Baxter, on Twitter, Bax Football Guru, has written for everybody, covered NFL for years, worked at ESPN forever, to get his thoughts on the NFL. Um Then jump back into everything else with with, with Kentucky, the NBA. Um, Got some guys who were in trouble abroad for UCLA that are back on American soil. Uh, We got Tennessee once again searching for a football coach TV. Um, I saw a text on on Facebook from my buddy Michael who lives in Roanoke, but he's a big Tennessee fan, grew up down here. It was from 2012, and it was the same – John Gruden rumors, as there are circulating right now. And so I text them back. I said, man, nothing changed. It's from five years ago, y'all talking about it. So got all that to talk about. Um, some telling stuff from John Kelly, too. I mean, it, you know, stuff comes out when the coach gets fired, but there's some particularly telling quotes that have come out today in the wake of Bush Jones being fired. We'll talk about that. Um I mean, it's just, just loaded like always. And I mean and you know, uh, there's there's one less winless team in the NFL, that's all I'm gonna say. And I'm sure you'll have something to say about that.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, tons of stuff to talk about. And I'm sure you got some soapbox moments. So wherever you jump in, that's where we'll go and then we'll
2: get Russell Baxter at six fifteen. Well, r- real quick, since it's the, we'll kind of, I think it, it'll probably be best to kind of work reverse chronologically here, since it's fresh. Uh, the Cats with uh, another marquee matchup in the Champions Classic uh, kick off. Uh, as you said, they've had three. They've worked in three games since our last show on Wednesday. <laughs> Actually, since our last show, we had that special edition on Friday. And so we have seen just in those three games over, you know, that, you know five days, six days, well, not even that, uh, we've seen a lot of progress already. Uh, you know, the, uh, the tough game against Vermont, and I think I touched on this last week, is, you know, the uh, reflex is to see Vermont on your schedule and, and say, okay, and not be impressed, but just look. Yeah, you, know, you know they had a pretty lengthy, uh, like a twenty, twenty four, twenty five game win, uh, regular season winning streak, and they brought all that team back. Like they brought everybody back. Vermont did. So this is one of those teams that we were talking about with Utah Valley State a little bit. I think I touched on this on Friday. There's a very good chance Utah Valley State could win the WAC. There's a very good chance that. Uh, Vermont and I don't know their conference off the top of my head, but they could win their conference. Oh uh, American America, East, I think. American, American East. American East or something you know, like that. Yeah. That in my mind is a second round matchup, what we had on, on Friday night. That is a team that if Kentucky is the one seed or two seed, and you could be playing a Vermont. So what we saw and what we saw and kind of bleed over to last night is, and again, this isn't a crutch. I don't think it should be an excuse, but there is going to be a learning curve. You know, this was game three last night, and let me just say again, on on was it yeah Sunday, yes, yeah, Sunday against uh, uh, Vermont, coming down to the the, the last second there, uh, the Cats had to play, and that's what you want. If you've got like, you know, the 96 team or a heavy veteran team, you can have some cupcakes and ease into it. But no but what I like to see is the trial by fire that these kids have had to play from day one. That's only going to make them better. So last night uh against Kansas, and I know Kansas doesn't quite have the the roster they've had previously, still a great team obviously but for the cats to go out and and really my concern was the rebounding. I mean, it was atrocious in the first half, but they flipped the switch, flipped the uh, rebounding margin, in the second half. And, uh, you can be encouraged with how that game went. Uh, these guys are still trying to figure out how to play against one another. They're still trying to figure out how to play against co- college level players. Uh, one thing that is a little frustrating, and I'll get on my soapbox probably later on the show, is uh, one thing I've tried to do, one thing I'm doing, is I'm trying to stay away a little bit from social media during the games because every missed shot doesn't mean we're not going to make the tournament. Every every time the other team scores doesn't mean Coach Cal doesn't know what he's doing. But some, But more than that is, I saw some stuff. Is Diallo trying to do too much? Is is Knox, where is he? And, and look, basketball is hard. And I, I touched on this. I really started preaching this during the 2013-2014 uh, season, the, the one with the tweak where we got it turned around. What you have to understand is these guys playing college or high school basketball, not because they're bad kids, not because of bad coaching, they could do a lot simply because they were way better than everyone. Right? You know, it's like, you know, Shaq in high school, simply being seven foot, you're going to be able to do some things that aren't going to translate into college, and it takes some time. So there's that aspect. There's that aspect is if you look on their individual teams, even AAU teams, they, each one of these players were the de facto man on their team. They were just, better than everybody. The other nine players on the court, they were simply better than. So, it to me, what it always seems is when do they start to trust each other? When do they start trusting the plays that are being run? When do they start trusting each other? Because that's where it comes in into play. And for people that don't want to buy into that, I urge you to watch the Uh, documentary on the 1992 Dream Team, which history will say, the greatest collection of talent ever. But they lost to that collegiate team in their first scrimmage. They had to learn to play together. They had to learn to trust one another. Even though I'm Magic Johnson, I've got my resume, I've got to be able to defer to Michael Jordan. As crazy as that sounds, you have to learn that. And so what I like to see is these trial by fire, these tough games, where, you know, you may be more talented than the team you're playing against. Looking at Vermont, but they know they know how to run their system. They know what they're doing. You know, how can you as a young player, in, in adapt to it? How can you help your teammates adapt to it? And and real quick, my highlight of last night: Sasha Clay Jones. He played phenomenal. You. This and this was a guy. That, that, you know, he was, did not play coach's decision. I didn't realize from, like, January the 20th to the end of the season. <laughs> I, yeah. I knew it was a stretch, but he didn't play. And a lot of folks, and, and again, we see phenomenal uh, freshmen come in. Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd Gilbert, from day one, uh, Malik Monk, from day one, boom. That's not the normal pattern. You know, we, you know it used to be the thing was you have a couple of good freshmen around the country. You know, that's why the diaper dandy thing with Dick Vitale was so big because there was kind of a rarity to have a freshman ready to go, but you always were waiting for that leap from freshman to sophomore year. Now we got Sasha Clay Jones that can come in and deliver it, and I tweeted this out earlier. If he can contribute and fill that role with – with Darius Miller in 2012, we saw he had some range on his jump shot. He's not afraid to mix it up on the boards. His play really swung uh, the rebounding edge in Kentucky's favor. If he can do that and get some blocks and, and make some plays and kind of settle things down, that kind of gives the, uh, the young guys a little bit of their learning curve a little bit. But if he can do that, if he can fill that role, and Gabriel as well, if they can do that, I think that that changes what this team is going to be able to do. Well, definitely have to talk
1: about Darius Miller later on in the show as well. It's ironic Absolutely. that you bring that comparison up when, when referencing Tosh Kalea Jones. But just, you know, uh, youth – Young every year, new team every year, getting guys acclimated every year, and this year is the exception to that rule because the experience that you bring back <laughs> is even more minimal than normal. The sophomores haven't even got a lot of experience, and we're talking Gabriel is practically it, and then you just mentioned Coach Clay Jones who didn't play from <laughs> New Year's Day on to the rest of the season. <laughs> so that's why. That's why. You know, people from other fan bases, oh, they're so young, this, that, and blah, blah, blah. That's why that's the case, because this is an exceptionally young team. So you got to get them all up to speed. The freshman thing, we, like you we talked about, freshmen turning into sophomores, the, the leap and the progress they make from freshman to sophomore, now that happens as freshmen, and some freshmen come in ready and, and ball out from the, the get-go, then you also have the fan base now wanting the whole process to speed up. We know it's going to be a work in progress from the Cats now until February and March. But now the fans just, it's like they just want to avoid and sidestep all the bumps and bruises and growing pains, and you can't do that. Everything is already accelerated, but you're not going to have continuity as a team until you, play as a team and get that continuity. I mean, Stocking and Malone didn't know each other were, you know, without looking until playing for some years. So the continuity and the gelling process is still going to take time. There's just no way you can accelerate that no matter how good these guys are. Um, But we will definitely talk about that as we continue. These first 15 minutes of the show have accelerated, and our guest is on the line now. He's covered the NFL for everybody. By the time I read off everything done, we really could just wrap up the show and go on home. But we're talking about NFL Spins on Fan Sided, Elite Sports New York, ESPN. He's been on the show with us before, talked NFL, and he's uh, generous enough to hop on again and talk to NFL with us. I'm talking about Russell Baxter, Bax football guru. The football knowledge is in the name. Russell, thanks for joining us again on the show. How are you this evening, sir?
4: I'm good, sir. Long time no talk. How you been?
1: Can't complain. It has been a while. It has been a. While. It's been a year or two. We had you on and and chatted up the
4: NFL and had a ball and um, should have, yeah, and should then, have bothered then, you
1: then, again then, to see if I could
4: get you on. Yeah, I know. And then there was the restraining order and. Um... <laughs> And then exactly. you know, you know, then you guys play hard to get, and you know, what, what are we doing? So, well, well, I'm, we're sorry, <laughs> we're sorry. That's all right. That's all right. I don't but, a, it. It's it's just it's just business. So,
1: exactly, exactly. What I didn't do the last time you were on, what we didn't do is is just kind of get the Russell Baxter journey. Just, I mean, I'm friends with you on Facebook. Seen posts about you, especially back when Chris Berman had retired and then with the tragic passing of his wife, you spending time with him, you in Bristol, Connecticut, watching games with Chris Berman on a Sunday when you were working with ESPN. Tell us about your journey up to that point and then what's it like just hanging out? You know, you're watching with Chris and Tom Jackson and all those guys. Tell us some of that
4: and then we'll get into some yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, what. It, so so very fortunate, Vinny. I mean, I, uh, you know, was, a, was a, trying to formulate what my career was going to be. Uh, you know, I, I didn't go to college. Uh, had a lot of NFL uh, numbers in my head. Um, started just writing for different people. Uh, sent out my resume. No luck. Finally in 1987, 30 years ago. Uh, a man in New in New York, uh, Port Washington, Long Island, decided to take a chance on me and later told me that he hired me on my cover letter and not my resume because he was looking for a football fan. Um, that man was Howie Schwab,
2: who, you know, oh, anybody who knows
4: ESPN um, knows he basically created the research department there um, onward to stump the Schwab and so many other things that He, you know, he's did He was a big part of my life. Um, And then, you know, suddenly I became entrenched with the NFL people up there. And lo and behold, I'm spending afternoons with Chris and Tommy watching football games and uh, doing primetime in the studio for 17 years live, which was a a thrill a moment. Chris and Tommy are very, they're part of my family. Um, You know, Tommy was, Tommy was there when I got married. Chris was there when I christened my daughter. Um, well, the priest, Chris, and my daughter—they wouldn't let me do it. So, um, but I mean, and, and to this day, even though I left ESPN, and you know, Chris is in semi-retirement. You know, he still does some things for them, so on. And Tommy's retired. Uh, you know, they'll—they'll they'll always be big parts of my life. You know, I've—I've uh, yeah, I've talked about writing books and different things. That should talk about how incredibly fortunate I was to spend all that time watching a game. And, uh, you know, sometimes it baffles me with our, you know, with the way we cover things now. And 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 I'm not going to get on my soapbox or anything. But, you know, for, for people out there who do what I do, don't forget that this is supposed to be fun.
1: And you're more than welcome to get on the soapbox. That's that's the foundation of the show.
4: Terry lives on the soapbox. No, I understand. The show, that. So- <laughs> I only get I only get on the soapbox now so I can reach things. Okay, so
1: <laughs> I definitely understand. And and Terry and I are '70s kids, so we were you know teenagers in the mid '90s. Prom time was, I mean, at its zenith. So we've had right. a couple. I mean, tribute shows. You know, when both gentlemen retired, and we were reminiscing, and, and of course talking about it. So to have you on, having been there, and it's it's a complete failure on my part not to ask you
4: about it when we had you on the first time. So I knew I had to talk about it with you. This oh, well, I listen. I I talk about with such fond memories and so on, and the beauty of watching the chemistry between Chris Berman and Tom Jackson. It was just very natural. You know, Tommy comes at it from being a three-time Pro Bowler and a 14-year veteran in the NFL, and Chris comes at it from uh, a love for history, um, a great writer that he is. Um, understand me, his, his legacy goes back to, you know, watching the AFL games with his, his brother and his father at Old Chase Stadium. That's how he learned football. Um, you know, you sit and talk with Chris. I mean, you get your money's worth. You know, we used to have – here's a little side story. Before, we used to have our Saturday production meetings, and Coach Bill Parcells was um, uh, with us uh, back in the early 2000s before he went to the uh, Dallas Cowboys for a little bit, and then he wound up coming back. Um, sitting in a room just with Chris and, and Coach and listening to them talk about old AFL, and the AFL is a little older than me. Um, I was born in 59, the league was around in 60, so I really didn't have that much exposure to it. But if, if you were dumb enough to interrupt when they were talking and didn't just sit there and learn and listen, and that's something I tell people all the time. I've worked with not only you know, great play-by-play and announcers and hosts and stuff, Sterling Sharp, Jim Kelly, Joe Theismann, Uh, You know, Bill Parcells. I did a draft once with Jimmy Johnson. I did the um, expansion draft with Bill Walsh, uh, Mike Lombardi. Um, You know, I can go on and on. Uh, Derek Brooks, John Lynch, uh, you know, so many people I worked with, and I'm leaving people out. But don't kid yourself. They played the game. They were on the field. They were in the locker room. They were in training camp. We as writers don't have that. So don't sit there and pretend you know more than they do. Just sit and take it all in and, gee, what a novel concept. Sit and listen and learn. I did.
1: Talking with Russell Baxter, Bax football guru. So when you're saying when when they pull the you never played the game card be it a press conference or or in studio on the show, as a person in the media, you don't even bristle
4: at that. You just don't have that aspect. That uh, that was never. Here's the thing, that was never pulled with me, okay? In the people I worked mm-hmm. with, and I, and and I understand why it was never pulled with me because I never sat there and pretended that I knew more than these gentlemen, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I never did, and I never will, okay? I just you just sit there and learn, and I used to get some very high compliments from Coach Parcells and and Sterling and Tommy and so on. I mean, but I can't, you know, duplicate what they did. Okay? It's an, it's a learning experience. And listen, we all have egos and we all have, you know, we know this and we know that, okay? I know my history. Okay? I could sit here and and do 51 Super Bowls, you know, score an MVP in about 5 minutes without even looking it up. Okay? That's, doesn't mean I doesn't mean I suited up,
1: right? That makes sense. Well, I'm, that makes sense. I'm,
2: I'm glad you're on sharing these stories, uh, Russ. Because for growing up when Vinny and I did NFL prom time, I don't think these. Oh. You know, I feel like an old person here, but I don't think these <laughs> young kids appreciate what it what it, what it meant. I mean, it was appointment viewing when that 4 o'clock game ended before Sunday night football, you knew you were going to get highlights no matter how bad your team was. You were going to get fun, informative highlights uh, because Chris Berman, uh, he was a showman. And it, it was just all your highlights condensed down. I mean, I can still, as crazy as it sounds, you know, I'm watching highlights, I can still hear the theme music in my head. You know, and just, and, and they would get excited. And what my dad liked, he was an old school guy. He liked that, that Tom Jackson would give you something in every game. It wasn't a touchdown play. It wasn't, it was just something that a player had done that he could highlight and say, you know, yeah, the touchdown happened over here, but look at this action here. And this is what, you know, really sprung that play. So, uh, that was one of my favorite all-time shows. I mean, it was appointment viewing. I mean, you couldn't get to ESPN fast enough, you know, uh, to to catch it. And and then how you all were able to turn around, even the late games, have highlights ready, you know, before the end of the hour was up. That was fantastic. It was just, it was a great, great show. And I, I'm, I'm well done, you, you know, thanks. <laughs>
4: The beauty of that show also was a couple things, which doesn't necessarily exist now. Um, and I don't know what the contract situation, because I've been gone from ESPN, you know, for about six years now. Um, back in the day, I'll sound like an old person too. Um, <laughs> they, had, they had unlimited rights in terms of a highlight. So in other words, if there was a, la- you know, a not competitive game on, we could do that in 35 or 40 seconds. Okay. But if there was something like Buffalo and San Francisco in 1992 when it was 34 31 and there were no punts in the game, we could do a five or six minute highlight. Okay. And they did. So that was the beauty of what that was. Now, the other beauty, which was the real craft and the chemistry. Okay. We would sit upstairs and watch the games. Um, Production assistants, and one of my jobs was to prep the production assistants in terms of statistics and and all that different stuff. And the early games were then brought up to the room, about, you know, 6 o'clock, 6.30. Look at the games. Chris and Tommy would go over their thing, how they felt about the highlight. Chris was, you know, uh, Chris was like a director as well and an editor, okay, because he wanted to make sure that what we saw in the room is what you saw on that show. Now, here comes the beauty. So now you're on set, and the 4 o'clock games come rolling in. And Tommy and Chris have not seen the highlights. They've seen some of the games, some of the game, because you know there's a lot of stuff, you know, getting down to the studio, uh, tracking, all the different behind-the-scenes stuff that I don't want to bore you with. Uh, Tommy, here's your shot sheet. Chris, here's your shot sheet. Here comes the highlight. And then that's where the natural chemistry came in. And understand what these shot sheets are like. This, these are not scripted. This is basically Jim Kelly to Andre Reid, 69 yards, touchdown. That's when Ooh. the experience, the humor, the analysis all came in from Chris and Tommy. And I don't want to overlook Robin Roberts, who did the show for a while, and Bill Pito, who did the show, show for a while, and the late – Stuart Scott, who did the show for a while, when, you know, 3 men, But Tommy and Chris created something really wonderful. And if you, for people who, you know, don't know the older primetime opposed to the current primetime, jump on YouTube and take a look. When, when, Chris's, when it was announced that Chris was going to be semi-retiring and stepping away, the outpouring of emotion is just like what you guys are doing tonight. People wanted to talk about primetime, and it was appointment viewing. It was appointment viewing for players, coaches, GMs. Mm -hmm. These guys all knew the nicknames because they heard them. They're in the locker room after the game, or they're in the locker room before the Sunday night game. I mean, it was, you know, magical sounds corny. Magical is accurate.
1: Yeah, it sure was. And then you mentioned Bill Pito, which, and I forgot about him. You know, you, you see all of them come and go, and he had his just little subtle deadpan, uh, developing situation, almost kind of co-stylish, <laughs> but it was it was good
4: though. <laughs> Bill was fun to work with. Robin is, is such a wonderful person. Stuart, who really kind of you know took that doing, you know, some games on primetime, and that all eventually he became the host for Monday Night Countdown, and I got to do that show with him as I did the show when it first started. People, trivia people out there, it was actually called NFL Prime Monday when it began in 1993, and it was Mike Tirico who hosted it. And, uh, you know, it, it's so it's so much involvement of the NFL product there. I mean, Sunday Countdown was Sunday game day. It was NFL game day. It was always – Three hours or two hours. It was a shortened version, but I can tell you the people who were involved, the love, the passion that went into doing those shows, it was huge. And I, you know, I'm very fortunate. I saw a bunch of those people recently, as a matter of fact, a lot of them who are no longer with the company anymore, but the feelings we all have for each other and the feelings for the work and what was created, those will never go away.
1: That is awesome. That is awesome. We are. Talking with Russell Baxter, uh, NFL Spin Zone, and various other outlets, and you mentioned Russell how you know your knowledge and extensive history of the game. You know, Super Bowl one till now, game score MVP, no sweat. My question, coming into well coming into this year or any year, how do you approach it? Is there a certain angle that you have or storylines that you look for already, or do you just kind of let it come to you as OTAs and preseason starts?
4: How do you approach
1: each individual season?
4: I stay informed, okay? Um, You know, for what I do, which is more statistically and historically based, it's a matter of watching. Watching on Sunday is very, very important. Watching and putting the numbers together is very important. Numbers without context are just numbers, okay? Understanding what the numbers mean. Understanding, uh, trying to explain, I mean, a passer rating, and I'm not going to knock passer, I understand what passer rating is. Passer rating is not a quarterback rating, okay? It's a very hard thing for people to figure out because the formula is very, very complex. I used to kid all the time. 98.6 is a body temperature. It's not the rating for a passer. Okay? So understanding when a team is first in the league against the run and 31st against the pass. Answer? Why drive when you can fly? Okay? (laughs) Well, understanding what numbers mean, okay, because you're watching the games. It's not – you don't take a number and then make a story out of it. You take what you watch and use numbers to enhance what you're doing. And Tom Jackson probably did that better than anyone. We worked so hand-in-hand hand with that. It was such a joy to sit and, and talk with him about football and so on. Meanwhile, my work with Chris – Was different. Chris is a host. He's not a former player. He's not an analyst. Okay. So it was more, you know, if he needed help with scripts, if he needed, and I didn't do any writing with the scripts. It was just a matter of me double checking things or being within shouting distance if he had a question. Okay. I mean, you could count on your finger or your hand how many mistakes he would ever make and usually catch himself in the process as well. I mean, he's a perfectionist, and that's what, you know, for people who don't realize, he was just elected to the Broadcasting Hall of Fame, okay? I mean, he's the Pete Rozelle winner, both him and Tommy. Uh, Pete Rozelle Award comes from the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the writers, and it's a a television award. But Chris was just recently inducted into the Broadcasting Hall of Fame. I mean, think about that.
1: Yeah, that's – and well-deserved,
4: but that's – that tells you all you need to know, really. (laughs) Yeah, well, they made a difference. They they changed sports television. They – ESPN changed sports television. Uh, You know, ESPN putting the draft on TV was huge, absolutely huge. You know, putting the NCAA tournament, the early-round games, people forget that ESPN did that in the early 80s, mid-80s and so on. Uh, America's Cup. ESPN changed a lot of things, and you know, but really hit its zenith with the NFL project, which in 1985 was NFL Game Day. 1987, they started actually doing games, the Sunday Night Package, which was the the back half of the season, and then that evolved, and a lot of it evolved because of Chris Berman. It and,
2: and it's great that you bring that up because. You know now ESPN catches a lot of flack. You know it's, it's too big. It's it's too this that and the other. But I remember growing up, like I said, and being able—if you were a like I'm a San Francisco fan, but I'm here in Kentucky. I'm not going to get that local game. This is before mm-hmm. you know the direct TV package. But I was guaranteed to see some highlights. Now, the yeah. Niners were good way back when, but still, it doesn't matter where your team was or where you were in relation to your favorite team. You were going to get that information, and ESPN made that possible. Like, you could keep up with, as you're saying, the draft. You could keep up with uh, what was going on in training camps. That was, that was ridiculous. You know, and in and ESPN was at the forefront of that. So I'm one of these people. I think ESPN kind of gets a a bum rap because with the internet, of course, all this information is available, but it wasn't. You know, it wasn't always readily available.
4: Well, listen, I can tell you that um, in the days that I worked at ESPN for the you know the early majority, there was no internet. Okay, so that information mm-hmm. was coming from. Uh, beat reporters and writers And producers on the road And so on And just working hard it, it, It's The whole world is different In terms of the way we communicate now uh, And yet sometimes Even though we have the ability to communicate better Sometimes I think We we'll do a far worse job of it
1: Yep Everybody's, everybody's stuck in their device So the, the Human interaction <laughs> Is going to decline you know you can take somebody you know, across the country around the world but and that's easy and that's simple but just the interaction <laughs> human to human face to face is, is isn't as good as it used to be
4: no it's yeah it's too it's too convenient now um and it's for some people it's too inconvenient <clears throat> to say hello and so on i mean i uh, you know when i was there before the internet and before social media i never shut up um and now that we have social media I continue to never shut up. It is unchanged
1: by all the new technology, Russell Baxter. No,
4: not that's whatever. exactly right. Okay? It's listen, the only way they're gonna change me if a social media comes out with duct tape. <laughs> that's
1: that's too old school to be part of social media. That's they you know, Cause that's been here forever. So, yeah, I, you think, I think you're safe. I think you're safe.
4: I appreciate it.
1: So, the big storyline, Russell, this season, injuries to a lot of top flight players, franchise quarterbacks, franchise players, Aaron Rodgers, J.J. J. Watt, uh, you know, just to name a few, but, you know, big-time guys, Andrew Luck never even took the field. Have you seen a year like this as far as the injuries are concerned at impact positions to elite star players?
2: Well,
4: I mean, it's always hard to gauge that type of thing, but I will say this. Um, You know, we've seen our share of injuries in the last few years, and I think the, the bigger problem in the league these days is, and this won't be a popular stance, Uh, but it's hard to get ready for a physical game when you're not physical in practice. And, um, you know, we have seen people get hurt. People get hurt in games. They get hurt in regular season games. They get hurt in playoff games. They get hurt in preseason games. They get hurt in practice. They get hurt in OTAs. They get hurt in mini camps. They get hurt in maxi camps. They get hurt in Vanda camps. Um, People get Players get hurt when they're not even doing anything football-related, okay? Deshaun, what was Deshaun Watson doing? He was practicing, okay, and blew out his knee. It's a physical rough game. And yet I don't think we do a good job anymore. You know, I think the preseason is destroying it. The one thing I noticed this preseason I thought was a little alarming was the fact that you know how the preseason is, which I don't agree with. I don't, I don't like the fact that you – you know, your regulars play a quarter, and then your regulars maybe play a quarter and a half, and then they play the quote-unquote dress rehearsal game for maybe Mm -hmm. a half, three quarters, and then they dial it down in the fourth game. Well, in that dress rehearsal game this year, you know, just at glance, I saw some players not playing there as well, and I don't know how that affected teams as far as injury. Um, but I think it affects quality of play. I've been a proponent of an 18-game schedule in which you knock down the preseason to two games, you make the preseason count a little more in terms of playing time, and I think you hit the ground running. And, uh, you know, that would include, of course, expanding rosters and so on. But I I think it's kind of deceptive at times that we have all these issues in the league in terms of injuries because of the regular season. I think it I, – I just think the process is a little flawed. And
1: I'm one – I don't know, maybe – I'm trying not to sound set in my way. 16-game season is all that I've known. I didn't – I mean, I know it went from 12 to 14 to 16, and I'm sure everybody transitioned fine, but – to, you know, to me, you know, you know, eight and eight, you know, six and ten, five and eleven, twelve and four, you know, to see your team go nine and nine or eleven and seven, which just it just sounds weird. You know, a thirteen and five team did the transition as the games increased, was that was everybody cool with that as it came out,
4: you know, in in the past? Well, you got you gotta remember something. You know, for the longest time, the schedule has been a 20 game block. Okay? Don't assume that they, when they played 14 games, that they didn't play six preseason games. You do realize that, right? They did play six I, I preseason games.
2: know
4: that. They played six preseason play- games during the preseason of the 14 game schedule. And guys, if you were the defending Super Bowl here. champion, if you pl- were the defending Super Bowl champion during those days, you played a seventh preseason game against the college All-Stars, okay? Hmm. So when they went to 16 games in 1978, they kept it a 20-game block. I'm doing the same thing hmm. as far as, and I'm not alone in thinking this. You keep it a 20-game block, okay? But if you're going to get out there and play, make two more count. Hmm.
1: Now, I'm with you, Terry. I didn't know that it was 20 like that.
4: It was six preseason. Cause, i mean yeah I were do, one I, I year honestly old, don't know when, it, when 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 it was a twelve game schedule, I don't think there were eight preseason games. I think this is one that when we got to the television contracts and so on and 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 things changed and so on so uh i I want to say in nineteen sixty it was still a twelve game schedule i think it's I think in sixty one is when it changed to fourteen, but yeah, you used to play seven. If you were defending Super Bowl champion, for instance, the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1975 played 21 games, seven didn't count, and that's even before the postseason.
1: and so, so Jim Brown played some seasons with 14
4: games. I thought he, I thought he was 12. Yeah, I wanted to check. He, say had some 14 he games did. Games. Jim Brown played from 57 to 65. So I think there were some 14-game seasons in there. You know, Jim Brown could have played a a 29-game season and ran over people. (laughs) (laughs) We've talked about that before, about how
1: adamant Barry Sanders' father was about Jim Brown being the greatest. As good as Barry was, he's like, yeah, you're okay, but Jim Brown is my guy, son. No disrespect. You know, it was always just
4: kind well, of wait funny. a minute. You're leaving something out. You're leaving something out. You also do remember that Barry Sanders said that he was a better – father said that he was a better running back than his son.
1: Yeah, yeah. He, his father always took Jim over Barry, right?
4: Yes, but he also said – Yeah, yeah. He also said he that was he a, was a better run. He, meaning himself, was a better oh, running back. Oh. go back and go back and find that clip. I, definitely I believe. Will. I, I, believe <laughs> I believe he said. Uh, I'm not kidding. I believe he said it during his son's Hall of Fame induction. Oh wow, that's. <laughs> yeah, don't. That, yeah, that's a whole Man. different can of worms. So.
1: I will definitely look that one up for sure. Going back to the injuries, and and, I'm not trying to harp on it, but just from a GM perspective, in your opinion, and we've we've seen injuries before, like you said, as part of the game, and always will be, but do you think, and I know salary cap and, and things of that nature play a role, do you think preparation for injury could be better? And I'm talking about, in particular maybe let's say Green Bay and Indianapolis where we've heard for years, we've seen for years, the offensive line in Indianapolis is not great. The offensive line in Green Bay is not great. And this is year after year after year, kind of this recurring theme to where Aaron Rodgers makes everything happen. Andrew Luck kind of did the same thing when he was healthy in Indianapolis. Uh, Got good players, but we see what happens to them when they're injured. I know the quarterback position is, is all important, but could some of these GMs have drafted better and, and bolstered that line up over some years to, to kind of – I mean, you're going to get hit anyway. They scramble. But could they have put some better pieces in some better places to maybe prepare should they have an injury to a Rodgers
4: or a Look, Or am I just out here all alone in my thoughts? Well, well, it kind of depends on how you build your team. And, guys, i got to leave you at this, okay? Um, depending on okay. how you – if you build your team around the quarterback, um, then you're not going to be a complete team. And that's that's the thing to keep in mind.
1: So that, that's why I was just kind of – I was like, you know, they should have maybe done a little more damage control, a little more foresight into it. And, and that's why I definitely wanted to ask you that and definitely enjoy having you on to reminisce. About primetime, and maybe it won't be won't be so long between visits for you, and we won't ever play hard to get ever again. You got it, guys. <laughs>
3: Absolutely.
1: Thank you, Russell. Thank you so Thank much, you. Russell. Russell Baxter, backs football guru. Man, I, it was. It would have been cool to ask him more NFL stuff, but I'm glad we went the primetime route because he was there T V in the room, in the studio, seeing in person everything we were enjoying every Sunday on T V.
2: Yeah, and, and the thing is uh again not to sound uh well you know, we're older now and uh Yes. Which is which is which is funny that uh, I just saw today that Vince Carter has missed the last couple of games with kidney stones. So and mm. he's our age. So that's that's an old man yeah. issue right there. Like kidney stones Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a that's an old man issue. But uh, and we talked about this when 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 uh, Chris Berman retired, and Tom Jackson retired, and just how big of an impact NFL primetime had. And like Russell touched on, I've heard stories you know players of that era talk about you know having you know with the early games getting back to the locker room to see nfl prime time and uh I, I know people a lot of people not a big fan of chris berman the nicknames but you know there was a, a, like a 10-year period where that show was must-see tv for the nfl and that's pretty that's a remarkable shelf life uh when when you kind of think about what kind of show it was, uh, the chemistry they had was natural. It was one of those things they've tried to replicate over and over again, but you but you couldn't. Uh, you could only do it if you had Chris Berman and you had uh, Tom Jackson. That's for sure.
1: Um, we'll catch us a quick break before we do. Let me flip the script to high school real quick because uh, the playoffs are still going on, and you can roll your eyes, but the Harlan County Black Bears are still in their TV. Uh, last Wednesday, we talked about them beating Pulaski County 40 to nothing, and that set up a matchup with North Laurel, who was 8-2 and in the regular season. One of those two losses was courtesy of Harlan County. They went to North Laurel, beat them in the regular season. They had to go there again in the playoffs, and Harlan County beat them again, beat them 28-21. to So North Laurel finished their season 9-3. and Two of those three losses were courtesy of the Harlan County Black Bears. So that sets up a matchup now with Southwestern on the road again, third straight week in the playoffs on the road. Southwestern is 10-2, and 8-2 regular season, demolished their two opponents in the playoffs. So, another tall order, but the Black Bears have gotten hot and are playing great at the right time. So, let's see if they can go and, and knock off another opponent on the road Friday at Southwestern. They're now 7-5. After starting the season 1-4, and four, they're 6-1 and one in their last 7. 7-5 seven heading to 10-2 and two to play Southwestern. Uh, so, we'll see what happens this coming Friday. Had to get that in. We'll get a lot more in on the other side. Eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three 277 at Cat Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. Vinny Hardy and Terry Brown here to get to some Kentucky football. Darius Miller, UCLA, Kentucky basketball, all of that. And, and you just never know. Stay tuned. Who knows where to go. But we'll be back to see <laughs> in just a couple minutes.
0: Someone to break my heart and make real I was gone from the very start. I'm so serious. Baby got me so delirious. We can have a wrong experience. Cause everything is built, feel, I'm feeling it safe. You up, we touch, and you gonna keep me up until 6 a.m. we laugh, we talk, but we never confirm if this is real. tell me. But you Hard. I need real love I was gone from The very start I'm so serious Baby got me so delirious We can have a rough experience Cause everything is built i
1: a Wednesday evening talking UK sports, talking NFL, talking all kinds of things, and trying to just work as much as we possibly can into these rapidly flying two hours. Um, appreciate everybody tuning in on Facebook Live. I put the link up, blogtalkradio.com slash catstalk link for the show, so if you want to hear what Terry is saying, uh, not just hear me drone and drone. Uh, click on the link and you'll get the dialogue and and not just my monologue. Uh, we already mentioned Bush Jones, of Tennessee, uh, where he was uh, let go, and it was just a matter of when. We thought it might have come after the Kentucky game, after they lost in Lexington. Uh, we thought maybe it would have been after South Carolina. Heck, might thought it might have been after the Georgia game when they lost 41 to nothing. It was just a matter. Of, and their fan base was getting upset. <laughs> they were like – what, what are you waiting on? <laughs> the athletic director was catching heat, John Curry, uh, for not making the move sooner. Um, my buddy Tony Wallace has checked in on Facebook Live, and uh, he's down here, Tennessee fan, born and raised. Um, our kids play together all the time, so they're our big buddies. And I texted him a couple days ago asking, you know, Who do you want? Who do you think you're going to get? And he would like uh, Dan Mullen. And you're hearing his name. Uh, You heard his name when Florida let McIlwain go. Now you're hearing his name. Tennessee letting Bus Jones go. Maybe he's ready to leave Mississippi State. Uh, Maybe he's just going to stay put there and keep working what he's done already down there. I text Coney and asked him, I said, who do you you want, who do you think you'll get? He said he'd be cool with Mullen, (laughs) but he said he thinks Tennessee will end up (laughs) with, like, Buddy Stevens from Last Chance U or somebody like that from East Mississippi Community College. (laughs) So he said, you know, he doesn't have much faith in Tennessee making a good hire. He just posted in the comments on Facebook Live that he sent us his new hashtag, bring Buddy to the Hill. So he thinks they're going to get, like, Buddy Steven, somebody like that from from school. But he's not expecting a lot of the new Tennessee administration. A lot of people down here, TB, are just not really excited about the thought of Mullen. They're kind of poo-pooing it. Dan Mullen in the East would be scary. Dan Mullen at any school, with more resources and better facilities than what he's got at Mississippi State would be scary. He had Mississippi State number one in the country when Dak Prescott, when they came up to Lexington. Mississippi State put Dan Miller in the east where he doesn't have to play Alabama and Auburn and LSU every year. He was a good offensive coordinator at Florida. that money could kind of be a nightmare for for a
2: lot of people if he moved over
1: and took a job in the East.
2: But but if the the point comes in, he he's got to say, okay, is the Tennessee situation going to be better than where he is? The the money may be better, and I, and I get that. But but he's got to look, and you know, I'm no. We talk about we're not recruiting guys. I'm not. You know, a coaching uh, kind of guy is Tennessee that job. It's 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 weird, and I and I say that in the context of college football in general. You know, we think we 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 debate in college basketball who are your blue blood programs, and you can rattle off, you know, you can rattle off, you know, five or six blue blood programs. You can get that, but. When you talk college football, it's a little bit different because uh I read an article about Jim Harbaugh at Michigan and I don't know why it didn't click, but outside of the Charles Woodson ninety seven team that split the national championship, that's all Michigan's had since like nineteen forty seven. You know, and, and when you look at Tennessee and yes, they've been really, really good, but you know, that ninety eight team was their only championship in, you know, in forty years or so. So it's a little bit different, I think, with college football. Is Tennessee still quote unquote Tennessee? Or does Dan Mullen say, Hey, you know, I got a pretty good thing going in uh Starkville outside of the Cowbells, do I stay here? I, I think it's a little bit different when it comes to when it comes to college football, uh, you know, Texas A&M, you know, I've reports that someone's on his way out and you have to say to yourself, okay, Texas A&M, where do you think that, where do you usually fit into the college football hierarchy? You know, is it a top five program? You know, I don't know. You know, those are things that the, the athletic directors and, and, and the fans have to be honest with kind of where they fit into the chain. You know, if if we were to fire Mark Stoops at Kentucky, or if he was to leave for another job, you have to be realistic with with what kind of uh, coach you could bring in. You know, uh, I, I, I don't think, and I, it sounds like a lot of your 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 your, uh, your folks down in Tennessee Way are kind of understanding that they may not get a a, a name person to come in. You know, it may not happen. They may have to go the coordinator, the you know somebody from a small school. They may have to do that. Uh, but Tennessee, as a program, does have some 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 built-in uh, benefits that you know a Kentucky doesn't have. So uh, if it's Dan Mullen or whoever it is, uh, they're going to have some things at their disposal, but. Uh, the landscape of college football is a lot different than it was even, you know, 10 years ago.
1: And I'm not saying that if Mullen came, he'd win a national championship. And he might not even come. A lot has also been brought up that he's kind of a, a private guy. Uh, you can kind of do your thing at Mississippi State. Sure, they love their football. They, you know, passionate about it, just like every SEC team is. But from, you know, a media standpoint, it's a lot more of a fishbowl here in Knoxville. Not saying that Knoxville media is like New York, but compared to where it is in Starkville, you know, if he's a private guy, that could wear on him, you know, because every Monday, I mean, Coach Stoops does his Monday afternoon, Bush Jones does his. And it's, it's a lot of them. It's a throng there waiting for you every Monday when you come out as the coach at Tennessee. Uh, Butch Jones was thin-skinned. There were several tense moments of him, you know, wanting to, to bite somebody's head out for no reason or, or get a little uh, feathers ruffled for no reason to try to fuss at the media for no reason. Dan Mullen might not want to fool with that. uh and, and we Tennessee does have, you know, better facilities and better everything than a Mississippi State, better recruiting base than a Mississippi State, able to pay more money than a Mississippi State. And he knows that, and everybody does know that. And But but you know how coaches are, too. They think they can go do their thing no matter where they are, especially if they already have success. And he's like, well, if I went and did this in my first coaching job ever at Mississippi State, and I've done what I've done in these nine years. You know, maybe he wants a new challenge. Who knows? We'll all know fairly soon. Um, he's had connections to Florida and, and did well as a coordinator there. Does he want to try that out? Like you said, does he want to just stay put? Because he's already a legend of Mississippi State. Um, and if he say he wants to stay there and just hold out until Saban retires, then his success or chances of success in the West go up that much more. We saw them give Alabama all they wanted this past Saturday. Probably should have won the game. But maybe he wants to just stay there and, and just keep keep building. You never know. It's 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 all gonna play out, but we'll we'll see what happens. But for some of the Tennessee fans that don't want money. And you you listen to college shows, they're like, well, what's he ever done? What's he going to do for us? Like, look at Mississippi State. What he's done is in the West at Mississippi State. You can't turn your nose up at, at what he's accomplished there, even though he hasn't won a national title. But they're picked last in the West almost every year, <laughs> and they always win seven, eight, nine. You know, games every year and go to a bowl, playing Alabama, LSU, and Auburn every year. So I mean, you you can't knock what he's done with where he's at.
2: Oh, well, I, I absolutely <laughs> agree, and we're going to see that uh, as we do every year. The the coaching carousel will will spin around. I think what we're going to see, particularly in the SEC, somebody's going to overpay. For their coach, somebody's going to have to make a reach. If you've got Florida and Tennessee uh, available, which which we have, obviously, <laughs> somebody's going to make a move for the other guy. And and, and I think who, both coaches, whoever both of those schools get, I think their contracts are going to be a little bit more because you got two. And and I don't mean to belittle Tennessee's football history, obviously. You've got two really good programs that are at the same time trying to get a coach, trying to turn over uh, and get back to their winning ways. Um, As you kind of hinted at earlier, a lot of stuff coming out about uh, Butch Jones and and his run, uh, you know, in Knoxville, uh, as you said, uh, the Knoxville media not quite uh, as, I guess, accommodating. as, as coming from Cincinnati and, and what have you. Uh, you know, it, and, and we've talked about it before, uh, like with uh, Billy Gillespie here uh, at, at Kentucky. Yeah. If exactly. you, if you just want to coach, right, if yes. you just want to coach X's and O's, that's your passion. You know, there are jobs for that. You know, you can yeah. have a great career, you know, being at a particular school. Uh, you may not get the big multimillion-dollar contracts. You may not get that. But you can have a very successful career teaching X's and O's and all that kind of stuff. But then there are jobs, mm-hmm. and there are very degrees of that, where you can say, okay, the Kentucky men's basketball coach, I would put at the peak of your college jobs. You know, maybe Alabama football. You know, you're right there, where you have got to be coach, CEO. Uh, it's a almost like a political appointment of sorts, an ambassador, all rolled into one. Where your your ex and O's and your coaching is part of it, but man, you got a lot. You don't have just a lot on your plate. You got two or three plates worth of stuff. And you've got varying degrees of that. And I would say that Tennessee football, because of the fan base, you just can't go and coach and, and throw out little fan, uh, sound bites and, and move on. There's more to it than that. And if you're not comfortable with that aspect, and a lot of coaches aren't, uh, Charlie Strong, I think, is a great example. Fantastic football coach. You look at what he, he did at Louisville. Uh, I thought he should have gave, maybe gotten another year. I don't think he got a real good opportunity there at Texas. But part of it is he yeah. doesn't like the media part, which right. you know, struck me going to Texas. They got their own <laughs> channel. <laughs> they got their own <laughs> network. <laughs> you, you're going right. to have to do something. You know, it's not just a coach's show. It is, you know, you've got the Thursday night. You know, is must TV. That's, you know, so if you're not comfortable <laughs> or not willing to do that, it just strikes me as odd that that be where you – but there's just built into these jobs anymore coaches' shows, and you've got to make appearances and, 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 and that kind of stuff. So you've got to be comfortable with that. Uh, and, and you, you kind of see that. Butch Jones coming from Cincinnati to Knoxville, I mean that's a that's a that's a culture shift, that is a focus shift. I mean Cincinnati football in Cincinnati, I mean you've got Ohio State football, you've got Cincinnati basketball, you've got the Bengals, you've even got the Reds. You can kinda of somewhat yeah. be a little a little anonymous there if you're the Bearcats football mm-hmm. coach. But coming to Knoxville yeah. where there ain't anything else you know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> so, uh and that's something that you have to look at as we start to see the musical chairs, you know, players, you know, coaches moving around in the off season, you know, Tom Herman coming from Houston, going to Texas. Look, a lot of that kind of down home folksy stuff that worked in Houston will not work in Austin. It won't. It just, it just won't. You can't shrug your shoulders, you know, after a loss in Austin like you can in Houston. That's just the nature of the business. So, uh, you know, and and every year it's the same. We'll we'll see coaches shift around. Some of them will be head scratchers, obviously. Some of them you can say, okay, yeah, that that could possibly work. Uh, But the arms race in the SEC, um, and strange enough, Mark Stoops is the most tenured coach in the SEC East right now.
3: I I knew that was about to –
2: yeah. I was
1: thinking that was probably about to be the case. Now that yeah, because yeah, him and Jones came at the same time, uh, and this year you know we say we always say, you know the coaching carousel, and it has some years bigger than others. This year in the SEC, it's got the potential to be huge. Florida and Tennessee, like you mentioned, uh, Texas A&M, possibly because they're kind of fading again, like they do in the second half of the season. Uh, Arkansas is struggling, um, and the athletic director just, according to, I think, Bruce Feldman, got removed today. Ole Miss will probably make a change from Matt Luke. Uh, Auburn is, and they're going to have a new AD as well, it's week to week with Auburn. Uh, If Gus Malzahn loses to Georgia Saturday, his seat is uber hot. He cooled it down a lot by not only beating Georgia, but whooping but them because that's their second biggest rival behind Alabama. But if you flash back to last year, Auburn plays LSU and I think the loser of that game would have got fired on the spot. Auburn ends up winning and, and it's the end for Les Miles. The LSU won that game and was probably going to be the end for Gus Malzahn. So, Gus is cool at this second, but if you lose to Alabama, it's going to be, you know, the pitchforks will be out all over again. So it's six teams potentially. I mean, maybe Missouri makes a move, but if if Odom gets into a bowl game, who knows? you got almost half the league that might make a coaching change in SEC football. That is, as as used to it as we are as a coaching carousel, that's still kind of eye-opening. When you might have a half a league make a move in one offseason. Well, well, uh, the the
2: the funny thing is uh, with uh, with Alabama coming in being so ridiculously dominant, and just I know they don't win it every year, but they have been so just dominant that it's forced other uh, the the other. I was going to say the other 11, but other 13 since the expansion, teams should really find (laughs) their Nick Saban. Well, you have to do what works for you. Uh, And the problem is if you're in the West and you have to play Alabama every year, uh, that becomes a challenge. And the challenge is like Ole Miss and Mississippi State has done recently, okay, you beat Alabama – But then you stumble against, you know, uh, Auburn or you stumble against South Carolina or Vanderbilt, whoever. Alabama ends up going to the SEC anyway. I I think a lot of teams, particularly in the West, put all their eggs in the Alabama basket. You know, we've talked about this before that when it comes to SEC football, it's Alabama. That is the game that, that, you know, you can get hyped about. It's a you know a big day when Alabama comes to town. Same way with Kentucky basketball, and we have seen this this factor of people playing above their heads when Kentucky comes to town, and then they you know yeah. pardon my language crap the bed against somebody else. So mm-hmm. you've got a lot of folks chasing Alabama, but you have to be who you are, and for the Kentucky coach to be the most tenured coach. And having probably his best season, and we need to to definitely dive into this 7-3 and record, uh, rarefied air as it is, uh, I think that's remarkable. Uh, Again, Barnhart, you know, we like to, or some folks like to put all the bad coaching hires on him when the good ones come from the coaching hire fairy. I don't know how that works. But Mark (laughs) Suess has objectively improved the program two wins five wins, five wins seven, to at least seven I'm no math major but that to me shows improvement and people can say oh the SEC is down the East is down, whatever you beat an SEC team and we finally got a non-nail-biter game against uh, Vanderbilt you handle yeah. an SEC team you double them up That's a win. Look, we we have said this throughout this entire season and then going back to last season. We are winning games that we have all seen Kentucky lose. You know, Southern Miss earlier this year, uh, the South Carolina game, even Vanderbilt, uh, because they got the fumble recovery and then scored first, I believe that's right, if I remember correctly. I am getting old. Uh, but we have seen teams, you know, Kentucky teams give up, you know, you, you, you give up that play and then that's, that's all she wrote. You move on. But this team has kept fighting. All right. This team right here in, in, in TJ Beesner uh, of, of uh, KSTV tweeted out something that I had really thought about. It's one of those things, you know, look at who we lost off last year's team. John Toe to graduation. Uh, we lost uh, 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 another offensive lineman to injury. We lost our leading rusher and three of our top four receivers, yet we could probably end up with a better record this year. Our, that, that is coaching. And, again, I'm not saying you can't look at some in-game coaching decisions. And, and there are, there have been some head scratchers, Absolutely. But for everybody that says, you know, we're a few plays from being, uh, you know, three and seven, we're a couple of plays away from being (laughs) nine and one. I mean, so seven and six, or or seven wins, seven and three, four wins, four SEC wins in back-to-back seasons. He's the third coach to do it in 50 years. Look, I don't care how down the rest of the SEC is. And Fred Maggard, your home guy, friend of the show, is an absolute saint for putting up with crazy Kentucky fans on Twitter. (laughs) And he's just tweeting out. People say, you know, well, who did we beat? South Carolina is at seven wins. You know, Missouri has turned it on. Okay? You know, Southern Miss, Eastern Michigan may not get the sizzle meter going, but these are quality teams that the Cats have defeated. Well, you know, what wins do we have? Look, if we had beaten Florida, if we had beaten uh, Ole Miss, then those same people would say, well, you know, that's not that big a win. Florida's not really Florida this year, and Ole Miss, you know, with all their turmoil. But as Freddie Maggot points out, coaching issues and turmoil aside, those teams still have talent on their rosters, you know, Ole Miss has, you know, six or seven guys that can go a couple of days in NFL drafts. There is talent yeah, that Kentucky sure is play. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just crazy to be so dismissive of the success that they've had.
1: And you mentioned Cole Mosier lost the injury from the offensive line. Um, Nick Haines also, too, with, with diabetes. So you got another lineman killer because, you know, having the issues keeping his weight up, uh, and he hasn't been able to play as much either. So uh, that was something that you didn't foresee at the beginning of the season. So it's another lineman that was lost. Uh, A lot of people were upset at the running game, and and it wasn't like it was last year. There was legitimate reasons for that. But you look now, um, Tennessee game, Uh, You look at Vanderbilt, you look at Ole Miss, and we've seen the running game get rolling, get rolling to the point that Benny Snell is now atop the Kentucky rushing record list for touchdowns. He uh, has 28 now, 28 rushing touchdowns. Let's see where it is here. Yeah, 28 rushing touchdowns, which puts him ahead of Sonny Collins. We had him and Derek Ramsey on this show, TV, considered by many the greatest running back Kentucky's ever had. Uh, his record stood. You know, he set these records before we were born. You know, his last year in 1975, he had 26 touchdowns. And the record just now got broken. It was tied by Mo Williams. Mo Williams had 26 as well. And Derek Ramsey, from the quarterback position, was right behind them with 25 rushing touchdowns. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to have Sonny and Derek on the show. Benny Snell has 28 touchdowns through 10 games this season. And. 10 games last year because he didn't play the first two games of his freshman season. Uh, so in 20 games or, or 21, if you want to count the bowl game, 28 rushing touchdowns. Still has two games left this year in the bowl game and then next year. So he's just going to, he's going to shatter the record. I mean, um, over 2000 yards rushing already. Um, three-quarters of the way through his sophomore season. It's just unreal what he's able to do. 2,104 rushing yards. He's already ninth on the all-time rushing list, Uh, passing uh, for 10th. Another gentleman who had on the show, he was checking in on Facebook Live as well tonight, Uh, Mr. Mark Logan, who was on the show with us. Uh, Benny's now in ninth place. So, I mean, and tied for tenth for single season yards with Rafael Little for thousand thirteen yards uh, in single season. So, I mean, <laughs> you just gotta stop and just let all that sink in for a minute, because we're
2: talking about a kid who hasn't even played two full seasons. And it's and this and it's the, that's the thing is you can't see the forest for the trees. Look, <laughs> we have been we have been fortunate in Benny Snell, who is going to, I mean, shatter the career records, you know, again, barring injury, not and yeah. all that kind of stuff, is going to shatter mm-hmm. these, these records from before you and I were born. And yeah. you, you, when you look at the number of games he's done it, it's ridiculous. Like, You, you forget that he didn't even play, play the first two games last year. And then you look at, you know, he was splitting time, you know, last Mm -hmm. year with, with boom. And and this year comes in and has to be the man really, you know, become the featured back and, and he's done it. And when the team has needed him the most, and you know, we, we talk about this, this November grind toward the finish line, he has been at his best. You know, we bemoaned the wildcat early this season. Now, it's it's become another it's it, it's regained its prominence the offense and it's been productive so we we can talk about okay the style isn't pretty I, I think that that Coach Stoops and, and company that they play things close to the vest I I get it it's it's a it's a fine line with with how they coach and how they call plays I I, I get that there can be some tweaking but there is. Improvement. Florida game, and again, we've talked about it. I, I wrote about it. That Florida game is going to be one of those that's just going to hang on forever and ever. You know, even if this team gets the eight wins in a bowl, it's just, you know, the Florida game. I, I, I get it. Yeah. Uh, even the Ole Miss game, you know, I, I get that too. But say I don't like those specific things, but when you say I don't see any improvement, are, I, what? I mean <laughs> – <laughs> Which, to quote the great Herm Edwards, you play to win the game. And if yeah. your win total goes up, then again, I'm not the smartest person in the room, but if your win total goes up, that to me says that you're improving. I I could be wrong. I, I you know, I've been wrong before, but I feel like that is uh what you can what you can see. And again, I try to stay away from social media because after that first turnover against Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt <laughs> This team is six and six. In the game, we still had three and a half quarters left. And it's, I mean, come on. I get frustration, but come on. You know, uh, so is, are man. we going to end up five and seven? Are we? Are we going to have to give a win back? I, I, yeah, it, it's just frustrating. <laughs> So quick math. Uh, Benny
1: Snell, 2,104 rushing yards. Um, Sonny Collins, 3,835 rushing yards. And Sonny was there for four years. Moe Williams is in second, 3,333 yards. So Moe was 502 yards behind Sonny Collins. So it's safe like to say if Moe was healthy and had decided to come back for a senior season, he would, have, he would have gotten those 502 yards and established a new record. Benny Snell, next year, being his third season, he is currently 1,229 yards behind Moe Williams with two games left and a bowl game and then a full season next year. So twelve twenty nine behind Mo for second. Seventeen thirty one behind Sunny for first. With well, again, of course, two two games this season in the bowl game, plus a full season next year. And at the rate he's going, I mean, I'm not I'm not predicting anything, but I mean,
3: <laughs>
1: the, the the work this kid has put in already. I mean, just racking up these numbers in such a, a quick amount of time, they're going to get a run for their money as long as, you know, everything plays out healthy next year. They're, they're going to get a run. Mo and possibly Sonny are going to get a good run from Benny next year.
2: Yeah, and 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 as we know, a quarterback's best friend, is going to be uh, a great running game. I, I know it's been downplayed a little bit in the NFL, but still you can't be one-dimensional. And as, as Benny goes, we see the offense kind of pick up a little bit, uh, and he's really helped out Steven Johnson. It's kind of that Batman and Robin kind of thing, that tag team thing. So at 7-3, and three, you, you really can't complain a whole, whole lot about getting two 7-3. Look, unless you are Alabama over the last few years, every team has a game where you just – I mean, Clemson lost to Syracuse this year. You have head-scratching games. You have games where you don't play up to your – what I want to see us get away from is that that's so Kentucky football. Okay, no, that's so. Kentucky football is you rush the field and the team completes a hail mary. Okay, that I will give you. But somebody fumbling the ball <laughs> or going three and out. Are you what? Is, that happened. That's just football. Well, that, that happened. I mean, that's just yeah. like, that's just like, <laughs> the, unless you've been Alabama over the last five years. Every single team in the country. I mean. Ohio State just got boat raced by Iowa a couple of weeks ago. It 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 happen It it just yeah. I need to get I need to calm down a little bit. You know, drink some drink some chai tea or, or something. But it, it just it's it's frustrating that uh, Mark Stoops and, and company are still fighting the demon uh, of not even last year year before. You know, going back years, because everybody's been a Kentucky fan for 40 years. We've all seen how this goes. Uh, and let me just say, we've only just recently, last five or six years, really got serious about competing in SEC football as far as facilities, as far as staff, as far as this kind of stuff. We're still playing catch-up. So in my mind, we're a little ahead of schedule uh, a, a little bit. Uh, because remember, Vinny, the, the the you know the two win season, you know the back to back five win season, What was it that people said? You got to get to a bowl game, right? That yeah. was the thing. You have to get to a bowl game. <laughs> well, he went to a bowl game last year, and we were bowl eligible before, before Halloween this year. Well, now yep. it's how you win. Well, you keep moving the goalposts. You keep, you keep, you, you change what it is that you want. You want Kentucky to go to a ball sure. game, we're going, what's to argue about? And I'm going to segue a little bit into basketball a little bit because, you know, uh, everybody I think is still feeling pretty good about, you know, last night's game against Kansas. And uh, I'm, I'm trademarking it's a hard knocks life for this season. I'm trademarking that one. I want to get that on the shirt myself, uh, because of Knox's play you know, last night. But I, I was interacting with some Twitter folks earlier in the week, you know, and, and you know the narrative out there that Cal is underachieving, that Kentucky has underachieved with all the talent. And and someone brought this up to me when we talk about changing narratives, is you remember twenty ten, the John Wall team, twenty eleven uh, with the Brandon Knight team, what was the consensus then? The consensus was you can't win with one and done. You can't win with one and done being your main guys, right? We we talked no. about, uh, you know, people like to point out freshman heavy Michigan back in 91, the Fab Five, uh, you know, they, they uh, couldn't win that big one. That was the narrative. Well, Cal won. We went 38-1, and one. we had another National runner-up Now what's the consensus? He should have won more With with one and done yeah. Do you see yeah. how it flips? How if you pay attention And you say, well wait a minute Now, five years ago you said He couldn't win at all with them Now it He hasn't won enough with them And, and, and that's just you can let your narratives, and you can let this mindset affect how you see things. But to, it's just funny when you look at it, uh, you know, going back to, 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 Stoops is we talked about it on this show and it's been talked about all over, you know, after back-to-back five wins, you know, getting out to that fast starts, those fast starts, five and one starts, whatnot, he's got to get to a bowl game. Well, he did. And now we're bowl eligible again, and it's it's well no no it's 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 how you win it's it's this that and the other it just enjoy the ride that's that's all I'm saying I'm off my soapbox for now but uh, that's 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 where I'm coming from.
1: Speaking of enjoying the ride too, uh, because we're just kind of bouncing between football and basketball eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three if you want to give us a call. We can't talk Kentucky football this past weekend uh, Benny Snell deserved a lot of love the entire team deserved a lot of love you know none of these losses have become losing streaks they come right back out and get a win after the games that they have lost went on the road and did the same thing with Vanderbilt hadn't won down there since 2009 coming off of a game against Ole Miss that they should have won they'll say they should have won it Uh, had a two-score lead and and weren't able to extend that lead, Uh, lose at the buzzer. We talked about it last week, playing with fire, and it finally caught up with them. Go down to Nashville and just hammered Vanderbilt. Uh, So you didn't let your recent history down there, the fact that they're still trying to Turned their season around And, and you know they would come off a win over Western Kentucky that ended a losing streak for them They wanted to start a winning streak You didn't allow that to happen Now you can't say you haven't Won down there in so many years And, and all this and all that And you enhanced Your bowl stats you already went in their bowl Eligible you get another win Increase And enhance the bowls that you uh, Could be selected for Uh so, yeah, you know, we talked about betting, talked about all that. Got to mention Lynn Bowden as well because he's continuing to come. Uh, we, we thought we might see him hit pay dirt for the first time because the big plays are happening more and more frequently. Uh, we saw the long pass. Uh, unfortunately, that was the fumble. Fortunately, Kentucky recovered the fumble. We saw the big kickoff return. Mark Stooks said it Monday in his um, college show with Tom Leach. The game is starting to slow down to him. And that's what you always hear, any type of transition. From grade school to high school, high school to college, college to the pros, the speed of the game, you have to adjust to it. And he said, you know, when is starting to see things, and starting to slow down for him. The talent has been there from the get-go. I and mean, Terry, we don't even keep up recruiting we heard about this kid all summer long. Uh, is he is he going to enroll yet? Is he going to get down there yet? Is he going to be here in time for camp? Oh, he's got here a little bit late. He's trying to catch up, trying to work his way up to speed. We've heard about it. We don't even keep up with it, but we knew what was going on with Lynn Bolton. And now we, we've seen gradually, little by little, week to week to week, you know, little bubble screens here, little passes there, putting him back there to return kicks, and, you know, he brings them out, too, you know, unless it's just kicked 10 yards deep or over his head. He's catching it. He's bringing them out. Uh, sometimes he gets hit at the 20. Sometimes we see him go ahead and pop 30 and 40 yarders and, and, or 90 yarders. So the big play potential is as good as advertised, and the more experience he
2: gets, the better he's going to get. Yeah, it, it it's gonna it it takes time and, and again, you know, we've kind of dated ourselves a lot during today's show, but it takes time to build something worthwhile. You you can't make oh well this guy is a freshman did that you you you've gotta let these guys build up. We are we're building up our depth when it comes to football. And having a playmaker like a Lynn Bowden only I mean, you know, he had big plays uh, against Tennessee. That, and that's been the one thing that's been kind of missing, I think, this year is, is being able to get those 30 to 40-yard just chunks of yards to really ease things up for your offense and, you know, to at least flip the field. You know, that's kind of been missing a little bit. But when you have a dynamic player, at least the threat of that play really changes things. So uh, as we move forward these next couple of games and, you know, a lot of people, uh, again, this I don't understand this kind of defeatist attitude. I think everybody's kind of saying, okay, this Georgia game could maybe be a loss, but I don't think Georgia losing to Auburn changes anything. I don't think they're going to... It's going to be a tough game regardless, but I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel this dread about it that I think some folks are. Uh, if we want to take a step forward, if we want to get to where we want to, to eventually be, we've got to be able to go to the Georges, and we've got to play our tails off, and we got to win a game. You know, I, I, I still can see and this is me being crazy, we can, we can beat Georgia. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say that. We can still get to eight, nine wins. It's still there. Next two games are going to be really, really tough, but they can do it. So uh, at this point, you're really playing with house money. You've got to seven wins. You're going bowling. There's no reason to, to really hold anything back at this point. So I would see the playbook open up a little bit, let Benny do his thing, let Steven Johnson as a quarterback, let him do his thing, and have some fun. You're, you're playing with house money. Go get the W. You know, seize the days. Uh, I would love to see him come out in a similar mindset to that Louisville game last year. You know, when Steven Johnson's career is done at Kentucky, I'm going to think about him diving the end zone against Tennessee, and I'm going to think about that that clip of him – Looking and smiling at the Louisville game last year, <laughs> come out, play, and have fun. Just we are going to play to win the game. In third place, you got to put him
1: sticking out his tongue at the South Carolina defender on that run. I say I'd be third. I would. Get. Yeah, I,
2: I, yeah, I thought about that. Yeah, <laughs> gonna, yeah, that, 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 and you know, we we are winning with guys. Uh, again, we're not big recruiting folks, but I don't remember. I mean, Steven Johnson was almost an afterthought and is going to go down yeah. as one of the best quarterbacks in Kentucky history. His numbers yeah. are not gaudy. I get that. But look at what he's able to do. The the first quarterback since, uh, you know, the 1920s to beat Tennessee at Louisville in the calendar year. I mean, look at his yeah, road yeah. record. Just look. When you talk about winning, he's won. So, uh, you know, he's gonna he's gonna go down as one of those one of those great ones, and deservedly so. Really, deservedly so. So, um, I, I think this program is headed in the right direction. Uh, I don't understand the Mark Stoops uh, dislike, but you know, there's people in the fan base that don't like what Cal's doing. So, you know, you're not gonna be able to please everybody. No matter what you do, that's uh, true. But they're, but those programs are, are are doing well. The the flagship programs are doing well. As we said, volleyball is doing really really well uh, as their season starts to wind down. So as always, it's a great time to be a, a, a Wildcat.
1: Exactly. And speaking of going with the right direction, like you said, uh, of late the New Orleans Pelicans have been going in the right direction. they won five out of their last six. Uh, a big reason for that, especially uh, the other night, was former cat Darius Miller, uh, who had a career-high scoring against the Hawks. And you, you look at it. They play 14 games. Darius has gotten to play in all 14 games. Uh, we know the success he had overseas winning titles and were uh, had a run with the Pelicans before going overseas, and now he's back with them and continuing to carve out a reputation and playing time for himself. Uh, 14 games, 11 of those games, according to basketballreference.com, he played nine minutes or less. So, I mean, that's not a lot, not able to really do a lot if you're not out there a lot. 10 to 19 minutes, he's played two games, which he's got at least 10 to 19 minutes. And then the game the other night, 20 to 29 minutes. That was the first time he got over 20 minutes. 21 minutes, 45 seconds against the Hawks. Uh, and you can kind of see it coming. The more minutes he's gotten, the production went up. You go back to November the 3rd against Dallas, he had 12 minutes, nine points, uh, a block, a couple of rebounds. You look at the next game against Chicago, 27 minutes, uh, 11 points, a couple rebounds. Uh, you look at the next game, 19 minutes against Indiana, 12 points. Uh, against Toronto, 19 minutes, 9 points. The Clippers had dipped. He only played like 8 minutes. He scored 3 points. But then you turn right around and play the Hawks, 21 minutes, 21 points. Uh, 8 of 11 from the field, five of eight from the three-point line, TB. And, you know, A-Rod used to get, you know, I don't know, people people hating on him. A lot of times he would hit kind of meaningless home runs, hit a three-run home run when his team was winning 12-2. to uh, But when he comes up in the clutch, two outs, and you need to get a run in or need an RBI, wasn't able to get the big hit. Of course, he had a great career. But we also know he had a lot of moments where he didn't deliver. A lot of these shots Miller was making, the Pelicans were, were in a fight with the Hawks. It was a back-and-forth game. They started out with the lead, lost the lead, had to battle back and claw back. He was humble in his post-game interview. You know, talking about how, you know, due to, you know, Cousins and Davis, a lot of his shots were wide open, and a lot of them were. But he had to be ready to catch and shoot and knock those shots down. And he was able to do that. Uh, Drew Holiday hit a shot to bring them to within one. And then the next time down, Darius Miller hit the three from the corner to put them back up by two 106 to 104 uh, and give New Orleans their fifth win in their last six games. So, I mean, everybody's just proud to see Darius in there having success.
2: Yeah, I mean, he hometown boy makes good, uh, I mean, to, from Mr. Basketball to, to come to the U.K. to win a national championship and really being a key cog on that, that Final Four team in 2011, which, you know, I'm just afraid that 2011 team is going to kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit, didn't quite have the pizzazz of, of the John Wall team, not a national championship team, but that was the team that broke the uh, – that uh, broke the drought for the final four and, and Darius Miller with a, uh, SC, a uh, SEC tournament MVP performance uh, that year. Uh, the Pelicans are starting to figure it out. When you look at the numbers mm-hmm. that, that Davis and cousins are putting up and, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people, if they get anything on the perimeter, uh, like Darius said, th- the shots are going to be there when you've got those two guys, doing their thing. The Pelicans have to figure out, they have to be consistent with the other guys. You have to make the most of those opportunities. Uh, and he's done that. He is one of those things. It doesn't matter how you get to the league, as long as you get there. Like, you know, we, I know he got there early, mm-hmm. went overseas, but he's come back. He's worked on his game. And he's made yeah. himself a valuable contributor uh, for a team that I think is going to make a, a playoff run and, and make some noise, uh, because as we've seen, there's a lot of versatility uh, with Davis and Cousins. Uh, they're able to stretch the floor uh, pretty pretty good. Uh, so, but for Darius, I'm very happy for his success. You know, he's been humble uh, and, and he's a, a Hometown boy makes good. You have to. You have to love that aspect uh, of it.
1: New Orleans is
2: eight and six now.
1: Uh, after starting out three and five, they have won five out of six. Got above five hundred. Uh, get a nice little groove going, and every wind you get in the west, you you, you take it, you stow it away, and save it for a rainy day, and hope it'll get you into the playoffs and been such a tough conference. The I don't know if down in New Orleans, you know, they say that's so Pelicans basketball like we've seen in Kentucky for so long. But that last three <laughs> that Darius said, I watched, you know, some of the highlights, you know, the recap, uh, where of course a lot of the highlights were Darius Miller highlights with such a good game he had. The Pelicans were down two and and Drew Holiday is, is dribbling Uh, kind of in between the top of the key and and the left wing area. And he's trying to go one-on-one. His man is doing a good job of standing in front of him. And there's another guy kind of clogging the lane. He doesn't really have anywhere to go. And as hot as Miller had been, (laughs) Darius' man was helping off of him kind of, you know, Hopping over into the lane to cut the drive off, when he should have been sticking to Darius. I mean, this dude has already hit four threes on you. But Holiday, the Pelicans point guard, doesn't kick it over to Darius. One of the uh, Hawks defenders actually knocked the ball out of Holiday's hand, and it just went over to Darius, who picked it up, you know, kind of you know scooped it up and shot it and continued to make it. But. You know just a couple levels of, and we see it all the time. It happens on the playgrounds as good as they are the pros, it still happens in the pros. But how does Holiday not just go ahead and kick it to Darius because he's drawn a crowd? Now you got a dish. And what is Miller's man doing leaving him? But that question has been going on for centuries because that's why that's how Steve Kerr made a living because guys continue to leave him and John Paxson and all these other. Uh, spot-up shooters throughout the history of basketball, and they have enough time to get their shot off and knock it down because guys leave them to help on a drive uh, trying to stop a two and they give up a three. And it was it was just funny watching that because the defender knocked it out of Holiday's hand and it went right over to Miller and just calmly picked it up and drained a three from the corner for the win. Yeah, but it- –
2: And we saw that last night uh, a little bit with the Cats. I think their on-the-ball defense has not been fantastic as of yet. But even more than that, it's the defensive rotation that, you know, if the man gets beat at the top, you've got to be able to rotate that. Uh, And we saw that last night with that last three that Kansas hit to really put the game kind of out of reach a little uh, at the end. Uh, The young Cats were just – uh, just watching the ball, and, and it, it happens. But you've got to be able to to stay engaged defensively and rotate and close out with discipline. And uh, that's one of those things you'll be looking at going forward. Uh, and you know, I'm look, really looking forward to Camp Cal this year. I, I think this team is going to be good to go. Uh,
4: and I know we keep
2: segueing back and forth between the you know the NBA and and and. Uh, and and the cats. Uh, But what struck me last night, and, you know, I usually like Jay Billis, but after the game, he was pretty adamant that this Kentucky team is not a national championship team. And I don't know how you say that after game number three. And and don't forget, we're missing players. Barker and and Vanderbilt out, you know, and and you You hope to get those guys back in the fold by the first of the year. And if they can get a hundred percent, as this team itself kind of finds its groove, how do you? I mean, I'm not a betting man, so I'm not gonna you know lay any money down. I never do. But how do you not say they can at least compete? I I, I don't understand it. Again, it it goes back to changing narratives and, and this kind of stuff. Uh, but I'm encouraged and. Yeah, I know. I, I kind of rag on the social media aspect a little bit, but there's more and more folks I have found that understand this is what happens. We're we're going to lose some games. They're going to look disjointed early, uh, but they're going to be there come March. That's what the, that's what the plan is. So I, I, there are more and more people kind of saying, you know, hey. I would like to have beaten Kansas, but can you really argue with that for game number three with this team? So moving forward, you know, I'm feeling pretty, I'm feeling pretty excited.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, that they uh, the, the rebounding will come along and talk about coach cow, camp cow. Uh, they got, got beat up on the boards a little bit in the first half, whether, one guy or two guys, whether it's PJ Washington or Sasha Jones, or collectively, they get a little better in that aspect where you won't see teams have as many offensive rebounds as Kansas had going forward. And that will help them out in the long run towards the end of the game where things like that in the first half happen. Uh, you see them clean that up. In the second half, they kind of got a little bit tougher. Uh, and, and kind of shut some of that down. Uh, that's little things that hurt them now uh, that they'll get better at later. If Jay Billis is entitled to his opinion. We may agree to disagree. Dick Vital has come out with some opinions where you kind of have to agree to disagree. And if that's the way they feel, <laughs> that's the way they feel, if That's if that's what they're saying, that's what they're saying, maybe they end up being right. Maybe, you, you know, Kentucky doesn't challenge for a title. But we'll see. You know, maybe you know, we've seen team turmoils before in the past, but, you know, you look at the history, you look at how they start off just raw in November, and then they're polished and playing together, and then the talent and the fundamentals have joined, and the development is taking place in March, and you're able to see the progression. That's normally what happens. So we'll see if it happens again, and... We always feel good with where we are going into March.
2: Absolutely, and and I, I don't think this year is going to be any different. But the, another thing that this, that that gets me with this this narrative when it comes to Cal is people say, well, his his way doesn't work. Well, nobody, you know, even, every coach getting three or four year players that doesn't guarantee a championship either. So it's like, okay, Cal did win a championship last year, so his way is not to it, – it, it's a, it's a crapshoot when you get to the tournament a lot of times anyway. But I feel good about this team because they seem like genuine good guys. Here is – when it comes to these, these, these young players, these guys, what I look at is, is anyone playing hero ball? and can't remember any Kentucky player under Cal, even, you know, John Wall, who, you know, a lot of people say that was the, you know, that was the key to get this run started. He didn't play hero ball. A lot of the issues that we see are not guys being heroes, but turnovers off of bad passes. You know, the shot selection hasn't been horrendous, like you may see uh, with some other Uh, players. So I feel good about that is we have young men that come in, they want to get it. They want to get to the point where uh, previous teams have been. So I think that is one of those good things that we do have working for us is these guys want to get better. And, you know, they want maybe not all the time, but they want Coach Cal to be tough on them. And, And I, yeah. I feel like this team in, in that respect is not any different Than any of the other teams And it's going to take yes, a while yes. to click mm-hmm.
1: And You know you Green, you He's beat off the dribble a little bit um, You'll just, Alexander having some turnovers Like you said some bad passes You did see the links You did see That wingspan, and we're going to hear about it all year, just like Kashima means warrior. Uh, Willie Colley-Stein played wide receiver in high school. We're going to hear about the wingspan all season long. But you saw them, and and Kentucky's not a team that gets a lot of steals. You know, Cal likes to have that rim protector, that Anthony Davis, that Nernis Noel, hopefully that Nick Richards. But this team can't help but get steals, even if they're not even trying. I mean, just their length alone Will get their hands on some balls and some deflections, uh, and you saw some transition buckets off of turnovers. Just uh, you know, from guys getting their hands on balls that you 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 wouldn't think they would. You probably think you oh I can make this pass, I can get it through there, and then here comes a hand and an arm, you know, blocking the way and getting the deflection. We got to talk about your UCLA guys coming back real quick, but before I do anything that goes past eight. Uh, Can be on the podcast blogtalkradio.com/cats-talk, and I want to talk about. I tweeted out from the show account and my account. Our guy Will West from here in Knoxville, uh, sports animal WNML, been on this show with us Terry two or three times. He uh, had a, a kind of a documentary. He was on a show this past Sunday that aired down here. Uh, just kind of telling his story from where he started to where he is now. Uh, You can go to YouTube and check it out and just put in Will West AIP. The show is called Anything is Possible. Uh, Part one came out this past Sunday. Part two comes out this coming Sunday. Real powerful, inspirational story from our guy Will West and, and the tons of obstacles that he overcame. Before he came to be the will West, and we've known and talked to you on this show, so uh, I tweeted it out Sunday or maybe Saturday uh when it was coming out. I'll try to do it again, but go will west a i p youtube and and check out part one. It's about twenty minutes uh and is really uh, inspirational, so I wanted to say that too before we went off the air uh but the Angelo Ball and Company are back. From China TV We were talking about this last week With the sports guys Kentucky sports guys You said it Straight up If you don't act up Don't do it in communist China And that's what they did With their shoplifting Could have really been in a world of hurt And I'm sure they were glad to see LA When they landed today
2: Well yeah My, my concern is This is a pretty serious situation And they just happened to to hit when the president was in Asia talking to uh, the leaders of China. I mean, I, I think if, if you're going to do something that stupid in China, do it when the president is there, you know, my concern is, you know, (laughs) typically it's typically not state department policy to get involved with Americans that have broken local laws or wherever they are. That's typically not the thing. Um, but I hope it's a lesson. It's a it's a lesson learned. Uh, is my hope. I saw today they got uh, suspended indefinitely. Uh, whether or not, uh, how long that lasts before uh, the Cats and the Bruins play once again, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, but this this has the potential to really, I think, uh, if Steve Alford doesn't handle this kind of delicately, this can definitely derail. Uh, what he's trying to do there in Westwood uh, It's just a crazy situation, an international incident. I mean, this isn't like going to you know, the local mall and, and, and shoplifting. This is an international incident. <laughs> the president yeah. has to speak to the leadership of a foreign country to expedite your release. That's an issue. That is that is big time. So that that where you can't just say boys will be boys. That's. That's pretty big. I, I don't. I don't really know if there's a situation where it could get much bigger than that. To be honest with you.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, and sometimes we've seen suspended indefinitely be a short time, especially in football. You know, over the summer, a guy gets suspended indefinitely, and then he plays the first game of the season. I <laughs> uh, Don't know how how long indefinitely will be, I mean, you see indefinitely, you're like, oh, and then sometimes it's nothing. But like you say, we'll see that this isn't your run the mill knucklehead move from a college kid, so it definitely might have a little more sting to it this time around.
2: I, I, I definitely think it will. I mean, like I said, this is kids, uh, oh, kids, um, young men, this is an international incident. I mean, this is if, if your crime comes up, like I said, between a conversation between the the president of the United States and the leadership of China, that mm-hmm. that's a big deal. That I mean, that is a huge, huge deal. And I, I just and, and I don't want I don't think that you totally ruin the kids' lives, but you also have to say, look, we we can't do this.
1: Yeah, yeah. That that hasn't come across. Learn from this and don't make this mistake again. You know, make sure it's a, the lessons are learned. Like you said, don't ruin a life, but don't just gloss over it. And make sure they know the importance of it to where you know things like this don't come up again, and they have realized the error of their ways.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I. I that's going to be something as we move forward in the college basketball years, how the UCLA guys go. Uh, also, of interest will be the um, Grayson Allen Redemption Tour that has already started. <laughs> uh, there's already, I've, I've he played some ball. Uh, three. That. And, and that has, I don't think anyone has ever said that he's a terrible basketball player. And, and people have had, no. you know, people have tried to bring in. Uh well you don't like him because he's a Duke player. Well that's part of it, yeah. Well you know, he's the he's the, the white mm-hmm. Duke player. I'll, I'll go ahead and say that. Uh, you know, in the lines mm-hmm. of uh Christian Leitner and Cherokee Parks and Steve Wod and uh J J. Uh, Reddick. J J. J. Reddick, obviously. Uh Chris mm-hmm. Collins. You know, we could go on and on and on, you know, go back to Jay <laughs> Bellis and Mark Allery we want to go yeah. way, way back. But those yeah, guys and, just. And I didn't care for Baddie
1: either,
2: though. Just, just throwing it out really, there. I didn't really care for bad... <laughs> and, and I was not a great Hill guy either, so it's not just the white guys at Duke. It's Duke. But, <laughs> he's, but he's been a jerk. He's been an absolute jerk. Yeah. And the redemption, finally, as a senior, after all this kind of stuff, uh, Seth Davis, Dan Wolken. Uh, had a, a, an article, uh, uh, you know, ready to go. And again, no one has said he's a terrible basketball player. I don't think you can say that about any of the Duke guys that they're just terrible at basketball. What people have said is they're jerks. And you know, yeah. every Kentucky fan, you know, we can give Leitner his props on the shot, whatever. You know, yeah. should have guarded the inbound yeah. or whatever. But. As soon as you see the Leitner thing, what does every Kentucky fan think? Remember when he stomped on a mini chest? Like, you can be great without being a jerk. And that's where a lot of folks have their issue with uh, Duke and some of these players in general. And uh, poor J.J. Redick, I don't don't think, deserved 90% of the stuff he got. He just fit that mold. But some of those other guys, they were just jerks so uh, the redemption tour for Grace Nows has started. I'm not here for it it's going- look he's going to do something else. Something else is going to happen, and he can put up thirty points and he can do x, y, and Z, but you know for my money, he's still a jerk
1: and the odds the odds of an episode with him before march are are high and- saying it's 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 almost safe to say that you you see something else happening between now and the end of the season. He is a senior. Great start on a big stage against Michigan State, uh, 37 points. Tough threes, too. I mean, he had some open shots. He had some tough threes that he was knocking down. But, you know, you get into the, the ACC schedule, you know, you're at Clemson, you're at Virginia Tech or, or Louisville, wherever they are, somebody say something, student wise or you know somebody you know somebody that you're playing in the conference you play against all these guys three or four years, try to bait him into something, try to do something to set him off. will he be able to keep his composure all season long uh if he does more props to him you know that's what you're supposed to do, but you know he he's let everybody know that you can get into his head you can you can mess with him and he'll take the bait. Uh, we'll see if he's able to to navigate all those potential dust-ups.
2: Absolutely, and, and uh, again, it goes to kind of what I've talked about this last hour. It is a narrative, and I think the national media wants Grayson Allen to be beloved. That's not going to happen <laughs> outside of Durham, because you, know, you you can't just say it was a one. Th- it was a, he's it's been habitual it has been habitual to this point and you know one good game against michigan state is not going to absolve him of that fact and yes if something else happens he has to miss multiple games that's just the way that that is the way it goes uh is it fair i don't know but that that's just the way it is uh if you don't want that spotlight don't be a jerk i mean it's just pretty much that that's simple
1: that's it. We have come to the end of the road on another fantastic show. Had a ball, squeezed a ton in, appreciated Russell Baxter coming on, uh, reminiscing about NFL primetime, a uh, little bit of the current state of the league as well. That was great. Uh, we kept him on longer than we needed to. He had to run, but we appreciate him hopping on. Apologize for playing hard to get and not having them on sooner. I definitely have to do it again. Appreciate you, TV. And there was a call that somebody called while Russell was on, but I wasn't going to take it. And they dropped off. So apologize to the caller. Uh, call in again. We'll be on next week. We'll get you in. Uh, if you have questions, tweet them at us at Cast Talk Wednesday. Hit the Facebook page at Cast Talk Wednesday there. Uh, if anybody would like to sponsor the show and podcast, just let Terry and myself know. Um, and we'll work something out as well On that end Appreciate everybody that tuned in on the Facebook page Everybody that listened live this evening Who listens on the podcast Had a ball And we look forward to doing it again Next week TV got a Friday game against ETSU In basketball Saturday at Athens Between the Hedges for the football game We'll be talking about all that And a lot more this time next Wednesday When we get together for the show Absolutely
2: Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you for
1: your hard work, Benny. We appreciate
2: it. And congrats to
1: your Niners on their first win and you know, maybe they can get <laughs> another one this Sunday.
2: <laughs> Had to get it. Had to get
1: More it. About, <laughs> at least it was against the NFC East team. At least it was against the Giants, you know, who are already down at the bottom. Uh that's all Ben McAdoo needed was to go out and lose some winless Niners, but he brought a lot out on himself. So we'll see what happens with them and your Niners going forward. And the Cowboys got to beat the Eagles. It's a got to situation. Uh, a lot of guys missing. Zeke is suspended for real this time. Sean Lee is injured. Uh, Tyron Smith is injured. So the odds are stacked against them. But we'll talk about all that next Wednesday, too. But so TV, man, looking forward to it. Thank you again for everything. Appreciate everybody listening. This is Cast Talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy and Terry Brown. Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. We'll see y'all this time next week. Thanks, everybody.